0: Welcome to First Rung, a stuff-homed podcast brought to you with support from Rosine. I'm reporter and would-be homeowner Kylie Klein-Nixon, and over the next six episodes, I'm taking a deep, deep, deep dive into the heady, confusing, sometimes eye-wateringly expensive world of property. And not just any property, but your first, your first home. Hence the name. Cute, huh? In this episode, I'm exploring the process of buying a first home with Stuff Business
1: editor Susan Edmonds. Before you start shooting off doing open homes, you do need to
2: put some groundwork in.
0: I catch up with first-time buyer Renee Dingwall, whose path to home ownership was a rocky one.
2: Was probably one of the worst houses I've ever lived in in my life.
0: Finally, I talk to finance guru Hannah McQueen on managing the hardest part of buying any home. The money. <laughs> But first, what does your dream home look like?
2: My dream home is coastal, it's by the beach and it feels like a batch, but it's your full-time home.
1: It has a big modern kitchen with an island, which has always been my dream, to have an island in the kitchen. It would have some land, a bit of a farmlet so I can have a dog, a veggie patch and definitely a nice little outside coffee area.
2: It would have a big
0: living room with lots of sunlight a big kitchen an indoor outdoor living area and a big backyard
1: my dream home is in a central city suburb not far from work place with a bit of character and a good backyard where we can have some beers in the summer
0: i thought that the process of buying a house was you look at all these beautiful houses you choose one that you like And then you figure out where you're going to get your money from by scribbling around in your savings and asking mum and dad for a hand. And then you buy your house. Someone does something with contracts. And then you're a homeowner. How close was I?
1: Well, I don't think you're too far off the mark.
0: This is Stuff Business Editor, Susan
1: Edmonds. I think when lots of first home buyers are buying a house, it is quite an emotional process and you get really quite attached. And that's a good thing, I think, because you're not – it's not – Just an investment, it's somewhere to live and you're probably going to stay there for a while. Sorry, that's my computer shouting at me. So yeah, I think, I mean, there is that emotional aspect of it. So before you start shooting off doing open homes and stuff like that, you do need to put some groundwork in. So you need to do things like save a deposit because even though loan-to-value restrictions have been eased, banks still are, they're still quite um, tough on their lending criteria at the moment and they'd want to see some savings and some savings history. It's a good idea to get a pre-approval in place if you can so that you know what sort of amount you can spend because it's pretty disappointing if you're like, oh, I love this house, but it's 200000 beyond what the bank will lend me. Um, And also, I guess it helps to have, you know, a builder that you can contact to do an inspection, to make sure that there's no leaky issues or anything else you should know about the house. And you might also need evaluation to make sure that what that's being asked, the price that's being asked is Reasonable banks sometimes do that, particularly for first-time buyers, in my experience. And yeah, and then from there you you either make an offer or go to auction or however the house is being sold. And then, well, yeah, then you're right. The lawyers will do something with contracts. And you will become a homeowner. <laughs> so let's
0: back up a little bit. The lending criteria that's sort of how much you're worth—is that right? How much the bank is willing to loan you. Pretty much.
1: They'll look at your deposit and also your income. For lots of single people in particular, it's that servicing that's an issue they want to be, because they don't just look at whether you can afford the interest rate that they're charging now, which is really low. They look at whether you can afford if it goes up to like 7% or, you know, around that level that it has been more historically. So that is quite, that can be quite a large amount that you have to have available every month. And some banks have this set amount that they think you should have available for your lifestyle spending. And it doesn't matter how frugal you are yourself, they still want to see that you have that surplus in your budget when you apply. So, yeah, it's it's a mixture of things, but each bank will take a bit of a different approach, but they'll decide what they think you're good for, basically. What are some of the um, traps and
0: traps that you need to think about in that early stage, like before you even look at the houses?
1: Yeah, I guess getting really emotional about a house and paying over the odds for it is, is something that some people say is a mistake. I guess if it's somewhere you're going to live for a long time, though eventually having paid too much will resolve itself. But that's, I mean, people do get carried away. Also, I guess deciding that you're going to have an amazing, beautiful first house when it's beyond your budget, that could be pretty disappointing, I think. It's probably best to think of it as, you know, this is my first step and then I'll, you know, do it up, pay it off, whatever, move on to my next one. You're not buying the house of your dreams straight out the gate, are you? Hopefully you're not buying a total, like, Dump, but, you know, but you, you know, you're not buying a mansion on your first shot usually.
0: So, in terms of getting your deposit together, mm. you kind of have to do a lot of research beforehand, don't you? You have to kind of know what the bank thinks of you so that you can be getting your 20%, 10%, 20% together for the price range of house that you're going to be able to afford. So there's a lot of research first, isn't there?
1: Yeah. If you are if you meet income caps and price caps, then you can qualify for the first home loan program. And that's quite good because then you can just have a 10% deposit and then it's not too difficult to get a loan like that. And some brokers have told me that generally a 10% loan isn't out of the question at the moment, but it often comes with uh, a margin. So you're paying a higher interest rate for that money. So I guess, I mean, you should ideally aim for a 20% deposit, but that's pretty tough as a first home buyer i would expect for most people i think kiwi is definitely a great way to save a deposit because you know you're not only saving your own money but your employers chipping in and you get that little bit of government money every year that's so i think that's a really solid way
0: and it goes straight out of your bank too so it's like it's not money that you you, you don't have to part with it's taken from you before you get to
1: see it that's right there's no danger you'll be like oh i've got this money over here just like buy yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll just holiday first home later yeah <laughs> That's right. so, so
0: we, is there anything else I'm missing anything else I should have on my little to-do list I'm at that I don't know what I don't know stage I think
1: <laughs> yeah fair enough so yeah apart from you know thinking about what you can afford with a mortgage I suppose you should also factor in the costs of owning a house like maintenance and insurance and stuff like that because that can add up quite a lot when that's not stuff mm. that you've dealt with before.
0: And the rate rates and stuff as well is, is always... Another yeah, fun yeah.
1: thing to spend money on.
0: Buying home is a bit of a white-knuckle ride for that first time, though, isn't it? It's, it's a bit scary.
1: Yeah, it is, and everyone's always worried that they're going to get ripped off or they're going to pay too much, you know, so that's why it's helpful to have a valuer and a building report yeah. and things like
0: that. Oh, that's awesome. That heaps to think about. Thanks so much. No worries. It comes time to put your mark on your first home, check out Resene for the professional advice you need for your decorating projects. So the deposit is step one. It's also the single most frustrating thing about house hunting and probably the thing that holds a lot of first timers back. How is anyone supposed to save what, 30 years ago, would have been the cost of a whole house? Can it be done without a helping hand from family? And what about when calamity strikes and your best laid plans go out the window? That's what happened to one first-time buyer, Palmerston North City Councillor Renee Dingwall. She's now in her first home, but to get there, she had to tap every imaginable source to pull her deposit together, including the bank of mum and dad. But before you roll your eyes, even with the folks helping out, it wasn't all plain sailing for Renee and her family. Renee, you bought a house during lockdown. Yes. And you, you you had to pull a lot of resources together to get your
2: deposit together. Is that correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I guess before we kind of get to, to talking about the deposits, we, we I I guess I need to talk to you about how I kind of got there in the first place, because... For me, buying my first house um, and buying my first house in the the first week of lockdown um, was sort of the end of a very long journey. I was actually a 16-year-old runaway.
0: After leaving home at 16, Renee really struggled. Suffering from depression, she ended up living on the streets.
2: Growing up having a roof over my head is is one of the things that I'd really aspired to you know I just I really wanted to make sure that my family was looked after I was a young teenage mum I ended up going through quite a few really bad relationships i I um went through women's refuge, so I know what it's like to you know start to build a family unit and then suddenly mm. have to leave everything behind and start again from scratch. Um, and so there's been a few kind of negative things that have happened in my past that has meant that I've um, ended up you know without a home.
0: Renee moved to Dunedin where her fortunes changed for the better, and she met her future husband, Hugh, living in rented accommodation with their children. The couple were just starting to find their feet when both Renee and her husband were made redundant. Seeking greener pastures, the family moved to Palmerston North, but it wasn't the answer they were looking for.
2: The house that we ended up moving into was actually a really, really horrendous rental. We were renting because, you know, we had to start from scratch again and and um, and uh, quite a lot of our, the money that we'd saved up to buy a home, had to actually go towards relocating from Dunedin to Palmerston North, which was, you know, a bit of of a distance. And then, Mm. you know, my husband ended up getting uh, a job, but it was only a a 30-hour-a-week job, and I didn't have a job in Palmy. So we'd gone from that Mm. two-income to one-income, and then we were renting again. So in this rental house that we were living in was probably one of the worst houses I've ever lived in in my life.
0: Oh Lord. Yeah. So it was the kind of was it just the, the the quality of the house it was was it it was run down inside and out
2: or Yeah. So the house itself was actually owned by somebody who lived overseas and so we had a property manager um looking after it. And it was the kind of house that was so horrendously damp and moldy that my clothes went mouldy in their drawers. I mean, I'd lived in Dunedin where it's horrendously cold, and yet Mm, here mm. in Palmy, this house was rotting from under us. That house had so many issues with it.
0: Two key moments made Renee and her husband determined to find a way to buy their own place. The first was when a live power line held up by rotten wood fell into the backyard where her children played. The second was when she woke in the night to a terrifying sound coming from her four-year-old daughter's bedroom.
2: I went in there and she was struggling to breathe. She was just looking at the ceiling and just, you know, making this horrible, choking, can't breathe sound. We called the ambulance. The ambulance guys come around and straight off the bat, as soon as they walked into the house, you know, they, they they got her sorted. They gave her steroids. They put her in the ambulance. But one of them came back in to kind of calm me down because I was a hysterical mother at that point. You know, I was mm, quite I upset. Um, but when she, the ambulance person was talking to me, she told me then and there that it was my house that was causing my daughter to be that sick, you know, It was, Mm, she could feel it the moment they walked through the, uh, into the house. So, I mean, that was a horrendous house that we were living in. But because we had such low incomes, we had no other option. You know, there was nowhere else Mm, that we mm, could, we could go. mm. And so what ended up happening with me after all of that is I ended up having a visit from um, my parents who, um, you know, as I said, I was a, runaway teenager and I hadn't actually talked to my parents for about 10 years um, and so they ended up coming to visit me in Palmerston North for my 30th birthday um, and um, my dad met met two of my girls for the first time and when they walked into that house they realised just how bad that house was you know and I would told my yeah, mom yeah. about the situation with my daughter going to hospital and in that moment she decided then and there that she was going to help us um, try and get a home and so mm-hmm. you know that started the next part of our journey.
0: So you, you had to sort of tap every opportunity that you had to, to pull that deposit together didn't you in those circumstances?
2: Yes so um, so for us we had been going to banks for years and um, they they'd always had the same thing you know they kept telling us that we didn't in terms of our expenses, actually, we could afford a house because we didn't actually spend all that much money on, on things. You know, we're pretty frugal <laughs> as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but our incomes were just not high enough. So what ended up happening was my mum actually bought us a house in Fielding, just outside of of, of Palmy. And so she ended up doing this house hunting and she actually used her mortgage for her house that she owned in Auckland to buy us that first home in Fielding. And that was about four years ago. And so we ended up living in Fielding for three years. And in that three years, we saved up as much as humanly possible. Um, we were paying my parents like tiny rent. Um, we, I know that <laughs> if if that house had been on the market properly in the private market, we would have been paying a lot more for what we'd had. It was your classic warm, dry, safe home which meant we also saved money on things like power bills. So in that right. three years <laughs> that I was living in Fielding, um, we ended up saving quite a lot of, you know, a lot more than, than we'd expected to, just, just from everything. And because my husband and I both worked in Palmerston North, we decided to actually buy a house closer um, in, actually in Palmy. So after that three mm. years, my mom sold that house that she had in Fielding, and she actually made 150 k in that three years on that one house. And so, again, that is the difference in the market that we're, that we're looking at. Then she used that money to buy me my home in Palmy. That's brilliant, so she she helped you with the deposit or you'd already saved the deposit. There was um two sides so so firstly, because she had made that one hundred and fifty K on the house in fielding, that was what she then used to buy the new house in Palmy. So we actually ended up mm. living in Palmy again for maybe another eight months still renting from my mum and still at that right. lower rent um until we were able to save up our bit of our deposit, you know. And so by that point, I had actually become elected onto the city council as as a councillor. And so Mm -hmm. that also gave me, um, I guess, another sort of guaranteed income for the next three years, which the banks were very happy with. So there was more discussions with the banks. The bank manager at the time had, had seen how much we'd saved over the last few years with our rentals and had seen how much, how little we could survive on basically because, in terms of expenses, we didn't actually have all that many expenses in this, in these good houses. So we'd save the deposit, and we ended up buying the house off my mum at a severely reduced price, at the price that she had purchased it for, um, some six months before. So she'd made no money on on that purchase. Um, and we know that in terms of the asking price, if we'd actually taken it to market, it was valued at around sixty K more than what we ended up paying my mum for it. <laughs> so
0: Right, right. So so the only way you were able to get into a house that first it was so tricky that you had to you had to have that help because it would have been too difficult to get into a home, is that what you're sort of saying?
2: Absolutely. Like I had to live in a house that my parents had bought on a super cheap rental because I had, you know, because it was going to my mum basically for just about three, four years actually. It was about three and a half years that we had, we had been renting off my parents at a lower than market rate rental. So firstly, it was that. Secondly, um, we ended up buying the house at the price at which she bought it for. So she actually held that house for us at the only price that we could possibly afford. If, we, mm, if she mm-hmm. hadn't have done that, that by the time we'd saved up enough of a deposit, that house would have been worth a lot more and we would still be struggling.
0: Right, of course. So the, yeah, the, the longer you wait, the more the house prices are rising while you're waiting. That's to... it.
2: And even with that house, the amount of profit that that house had made in the, in the six months that I'd lived in that house was more than I earn in a year. You know, so how do you save up that fast when the house prices are rising way faster than any of us can save?
0: Do you think it's worthwhile for people to to sort of move heaven and earth to get on the ladder to maybe, you know, buy that much cheaper house somewhere that's slightly more inconvenient just so that you can make it onto the ladder?
2: I think the hard part is we're running out of cheaper places to buy as well. You know, essentially what's mm. going on is we have way too many developers buying up all the houses. We're definitely not building enough houses. So in terms of my advice for anyone out there who is who is currently living in a horrible rental or who is really trying to to save up their deposits for their first home, keep trying. Um, I know it's really tough, but, you know, if you Just keep trying because you never know what the future holds. You never know um, when an opportunity might actually come your way.
0: So after chatting with Renee, it's clear you need to be saving for your first home long before you ever want one. Maybe even in your teens if you want a chance of keeping up with house prices. Also, you might have to live like a monk to really make a dent in that deposit. For a lot of folks, myself included, those aren't simple or easy choices. Getting your finances in top shape is a good place to start. But looking at my own accounts, I could do with a little help. So I'm speaking to Hannah McQueen, a financial personal trainer who, through her company Enable Me, wants to get Kiwis fit and healthy financially. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you. So your company's tagline is, in control of your money, debt-free sooner, building wealth quicker. Getting on the ladder, buying your first home, that's key to building that wealth in the long run, isn't it?
3: I think that's one of the first overt moves that you can see the results of. So as soon as you're on the property ladder, everything becomes a lot easier. Uh, But there are a lot of actions that need to... um, occur in a particular order to get you onto that ladder as quickly as possible, if you're trying to Mm maximise or shorten the the time to get you there.
0: What kinds of things are we talking about?
3: If you're looking at buying a property, you're trying to generate or create enough surplus, so savings that you can use as a deposit. Well, that's the output, but the input to create that output is you need to have the right mindset, you need to have the right behaviours and habits, and you need to have the right strategy. And that's where most Kiwis tend to uh, slow their own pace of progress down. And instead, they think, well, if I just earned more money, I should be able to get ahead and achieve my goals faster, when invariably that doesn't create the outcome that you expect.
0: So are you talking about things like, People wasting money on coffees and brunch, or is that just a kind of weird stereotype you know the whole avocado myth if you like
3: yeah yeah well, the conditions are much harder now than what they were in our grandparents' time. When my granddad left school at age eleven, he was actually able to buy his first home around twenty. He went and worked on a farm, like he wasn 't a guru or anything he just he went and worked mm-hmm. on a farm and he saved. Now he was able to buy his home at 20 because the income to the house prices was a one to two ratio. And what I mean by that is let's say his income was fifty thousand dollars a year, the house only cost a hundred thousand dollars. So it was a lot easier to save twenty percent of what you need because you earn a lot relative to what you're trying to save. So For him, he didn't need to be good with money. He just needed to not be bad with money, and he was going to be okay because the conditions that he was working within were so favorable or that the current just kind of took him to where he needed to be. And because he could buy a property so early, because the conditions were so good, he was mortgage-free at 30 And the result is that he was going to be fine for retirement, right, because he had 30 years to save for retirement.
0: Right, right.
3: Then if you compare that to my parents, that ratio wasn't 1 to 2. It was probably 1 to 4. So that Mm -hmm. you're earning or house prices are uh, a lot higher relative to income or your income hasn't gone up at the same pace as house prices. So that means that it takes you longer to save. You buy a house later your mortgage is bigger, it takes you longer to pay it off and you're lucky if you even have a chance to save for retirement by the time you're mortgage free. And then if I look at my generation where maybe that ratio is one to five so it gets harder again and my kid's generation where it could be one to seven. And so it's it's I guess the old uh, advice was if you just spent less than you earn, kind of, if you just didn't have avocado on toast, you should be able to get there in the end And I think that's the piece that has really changed because spending less than you earn, that isn't enough to get ahead now. That was enough in my granddad's day, but it's not enough now. And so we say that
0: now we need to make our money work for us.
3: We've got to to make it work harder. The conditions are harder, so we need to be better. And I think that that framing of the avocado on toast is – well, you're not even trying to be good, so why do you expect to be on the property ladder? And the counter to that is, well, you'd have to give up avocado on toast every day for 20 years to actually save a deposit. Mm. So it's not actually making the difference that the the saying suggests. But I I think the undercurrent is that when you don't think your efforts are going to get you to where you need to be, you don't tend to try. You almost do a negative try. So you you think, well, what's the point of trying? I'll just spend the money.
0: I definitely see that in my own generation, a kind of sort of hands up, that's it, we give up attitude. Well, let's talk about some of the um, sort of nitty-gritty things and things that people kind of have asked me about. Yes. Um, One of the main ones being is, is it a good idea – you're allowed to but is it actually a good idea to think to tap your kiwi saver to to boost that deposit or is that totally. something you yeah yes so, so <laughs> anywhere you can bring that deposit together is a good idea oh
3: yeah like you uh it's your big borrow or steal that deposit um so if you can get it from kiwi if you can borrow it from your parents um, if you can borrow money from friends, if you can get a side hustle going just for temporarily to increase your income or to increase your surplus, you, you're doing anything and everything to get that deposit together.
0: When it comes to pre-approval, what, what kinds of things are banks looking for? What kind yeah. of condition, like <laughs> shape, do you need to be in for when it for for a bank to sort of take you seriously, if you like?
3: Yeah, the bank's criteria is more difficult or challenging than it's been for years. So even though interest rates are lower, which in theory means it's easier, you should be able to afford a mortgage, Uh, they are assessing your ability to service the debt based on rates much higher than what the actual rates are.
0: Hannah says that means that even if you could afford to service a mortgage, the bank's slightly pessimistic calculator will tell you that you can't. And there's another thing standing in the way of first-time buyers, the dreaded LVR, or loan-to-value ratio. The government, well actually the Reserve Bank, sets rules on how much of a property's value the bank can loan you. In the past, that generally meant you couldn't get near a bank manager without at least a 20% deposit in your back pocket. While those restrictions have eased in the wake of COVID and the economic downturn, you're still going to need to come up with a significant chunk of the home's value if you want a loan. Although some banks have specific home loan packages designed for first-time buyers that might get your deposit requirement down to about 5%, most banks aren't even allowed to give you a loan unless you can front up with at least a 10% deposit.
3: They're not making it easier for 1st home buyers to get on the ladder. The banks are looking at your uh, ability to save money, they're looking at your spending history they're taking quite a negative view on that. So they're assuming, well, if you've always done it this way, then you'll continue to do that, whether you've got a mortgage or not, which maybe is true. But uh, for some people, if they knew that that was the difference between them getting the mortgage, they would actually improve their behaviours.
0: Is there much difference between the banks? Or for some folks, is it really just whoever's going to approve you is the one to kind of shape yourself up for, if you like?
3: From a first home perspective, if you're struggling to kind of pull together the deposit, I think you're going to go with any bank that will give you the mortgage you're going to take, and you're not going to be fussy, you're just going to take it and you're going to move on. And because, of course, in a year's time, you can move to another bank, and it's a lot easier to move to another bank once you own the property, you can prove that you can service the mortgage, That's it's easier then. Uh, those right. who are likely to shop around initially are those who have a really strong deposit, really strong incomes, more respected industries from a bank's perspective. But most, right. most of us, when we're buying the first home, we're kind of patching together the deposit and just nice. <laughs> crawl over the line to get the property. It's, we don't really have the choice to, to pick and choose. There's normally only one to choose.
0: In that case, is there much point in us going to a mortgage broker or or are you better off going to the bank you've had your savings account with for the last five years or whatever?
3: In most instances, the bank that you have had your savings with or your banking history is with, that is the bank that you are likely to go to. Whether you should use a mortgage broker, I think that a really good mortgage broker um should be able to tell you, uh, if not that bank, which would be the best bank for you to consider. It's just it's not helpful if the mortgage broker is aligned to one particular bank. Right. But yes, I think that... As part of that research, it's always helpful to to talk to people outside of the bank as to what their recommendation is and a broker might be the first point of call for you.
0: So you've got a deposit sorted and you've got your bank manager on speed dial. Join us next week when the fund really starts and we actually get to look at some houses. I'm Kylie Klein-Nixon and this is First Run. Thanks to our guests this week, Susan Edmonds, Renee Dingwall and Hannah McQueen and to our team, producer Joe Hayward and Stuff podcast director Adam Dudding. Thanks also to our sponsors, Resene, New Zealand made paints for New Zealand made homes. You can find First Rung on all the podcast platforms and if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up at homed at stuff.co.nz. Happy house hunting!